Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. Amen. How many people are excited to be in the house of God today? Oh, well, I'm so glad that you're here, so grateful that you're with us. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is JJ, and my wife Liz and I have the honor, the privilege, and the joy of pastoring this little church that has just turned over two years old, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's worth giving God some praise. We know that we'd make it, and, uh, and we've made it, and we've grown, and God's done some amazing things in our community. Well, hey, today we're going to get into the third installment, the final installment of a sermon series called Sun Stand Still. Has this been blessing anybody? Has this been challenging anybody? Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to buck tradition a little bit. I usually share my scripture and then I give you the title of my message. Today I want to begin by giving you the title of my message and then we're going to go into scripture. Um, today's title is simply, I tried to get as creative as I could, but today's title is simply Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Now I'm a student of preaching. I've, I've, I've been preaching for 20 years, close to it, if not a little more. Um, and uh, it, it, this breaks all the rules. Because in preaching, you're supposed to use a title that draws in curiosity that you can instantly identify with and relate with. Like last Sunday, we did Why Bother? And, well, this is a problem if the title of the message is in a foreign language. I understand how you might not be able to connect. But I'm making a trade this morning. And what I'm trading is a title that is going to grab your attention now for a title that is going to sustain your faith tomorrow. That is my belief. Um, this might just be a foreign phrase for you right now, but I believe that in 37 minutes, this phrase will transform from something that grabs attention to something that sustains faith. If you're not familiar with the term, it is the Hebrew uh, form of, of, of a name of God. And God has many names. That name that you know him as God, those three letters are really a bucket that hold within it the many aspects and characteristics of God. And one of them is Jehovah Jireh. And so we're going to get into the first time we see this name in the scripture. It's in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 1. And if you have it, that's awesome. If not, you can give your attention to the screen and uh, we'll continue there. Some background on this. Well, I'll get into that in a moment. Uh, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, some background information. Isaac here is Abraham's son of the promise. He, he had him with his wife named Sarah. Uh, and this child, they've been waiting for this child for almost 30 years. Could you imagine waiting for something 30 years? Years And then you finally get it, and the moment you get it, God asks for it in return. God asks for it back. This is kind of what they're going through right now. And it's amazing in verse 3 because he's got the son whom he loves, the son of the promise, the one he's been waiting for. And this is how Abraham responds to God asking for, uh, God asking for his most beloved thing. Verse 3, early the next morning Abraham got up. Come on. I have trouble getting up for work. You know what I'm talking about? Like getting up in the morning can be hard when you're looking forward to the things that you're doing. But could you imagine getting up early in the morning to go sacrifice the one that you love? That's crazy. Some people say that it was a sign of Abraham's faith. I don't know. I think he was just trying to get up before Sarah. Come on, somebody. He wanted to make sure 
that his wife didn't catch them sneaking out the house with their only son. <laughs> Where you going, baby? Nowhere. The store. I'll be right back. Go, 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 go. <laughs> Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, now here's when it starts to get um, uh, typical and a shadow. And not typical in the sense that you know. But Isaac is a type of Christ. He is a shadow of Christ. That is why the journey took three days. Because when Christ went into the tomb on Friday, he came out on Sunday. It was a three-day journey from death to life. And so now Isaac is a type of Christ. And the journey is taking three days. On the third day, you have a father who's giving up their son, like God the father gave up his son. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried, what did he carry? The wood, just like Jesus carried the wood himself up Calvary. The fire and the knife, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, uh, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, tag, <laughs> you're it. <laughs> he, said, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now something you have to understand here, so there's some idea that Isaac is like six years old and, and his dad is wrapping him up against his will. You need to know that Isaac at this time is 30. He willfully gets on the altar, just like Jesus Christ willfully got on the cross for you and for me. Nobody forced him to get there. He chose. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his own son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For I know, now I know, that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Come on, that makes me think the thicket was also the thorns, and the ram was caught, his head was caught in the thorns. That makes me think of Christ, who had a crown of thorns wrapped around his head. The th he was caught, caught in the thicket. Sorry, I lost my finger. Oh, man, here we go. <laughs> Sacrifice to the burnt offering instead of his son. Keep going. So Abraham called that place, here we go, Jehovah Jireh. Say it with me, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, who else are you going to swear by when you're God? People will be like, I swear to God, I'll do it. God's like, I swear to myself. <laughs> this is a true story. He said, I swear to myself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. I have a simple question for you this afternoon and the question is, what are you lacking 
because we're all lacking something. If you want to get a picture of it, I'd encourage you to just go to the lobby and read some of those audacious tags that are hanging on that wall. There are some people who are lacking in their finances. There are some people who are lacking family. There are some people who are lacking a career. Some people who are lacking uh, confidence. What are you lacking? And everybody's lacking something. Even if you're wealthy, you're in lack of something. What I find interesting is that if there's anybody who wasn't lacking, it was this man named Abraham. Abraham was not lacking much. Abraham was rich. Abraham was wealthy. Two different times in the Bible, God says that his wealth actually doubles in size. He had friends. He had influence. There was only one thing that Abraham was lacking in his life, and the one thing Abraham was lacking in his life was children. They only had one of them, Isaac. Isn't it interesting how God orchestrates Abraham's life to highlight the one thing in his life that he lacks? You need to really understand that because I do believe that that is the way that God orchestrates our life. I believe that God orchestrates our life in a way so that he can highlight our need. Why? There is a false theology running rampant in Christianity, and I need to bust it if you know it or if you believe it or if you think it, that when you give your life to Christ, God removes your needs. God does not remove your needs. For all those people who are going to go in the water and come out of the water today, I'm going to just let you know right now, the needs that you had before you went in the water are going to be the same needs that you have when you get out of the water. Any Christians here can say amen. God does not your, remove your needs. That's not what he does. This is what he does. He highlights your need so that he can become what you need. Paul said that he is the God that will supply all my needs, all your needs. In, 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 in Exodus, Moses asked him, what's your name? He says, my name is I am. I am what? Jehovah, I am what you need. I will not remove your needs. I will become what you need. I will become what you need. And I've seen that in my life. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, who meets every one of my needs. I, I learned that when we first got married. Liz and I, I don't know what you were thinking about. On your wedding day, raise your hand if you're married and you remember your wedding day. You remember your wedding day. Raise your hand. You remember your wedding day. I see people who've been married longer than 20 years, they're not raising their hand. It's like, it's all a blur right now. Um, I remember my wedding day uh, is very memorable. Not as memorable as the honeymoon, but that's neither nor there. That's neither nor there. Um, it was a memorable. It was a memorable event. And the thing I remember about the most, two things. I remember the only thing I, I can only remember two things. The only two things I remember was one, Liz coming down in her dress. I don't remember what we ate. I don't remember the food. I just remember that visual of her coming down the dress. It's forever stuck in my mind. And the second thing I remember was waking up that morning and freaking out. Uh, freaking out not because I thought that I was about to marry the wrong person. I was pretty sure, pretty sure <laughs> that this was it. Um, I was freaking out because it hit me that um, after this day, I was going to have to provide for someone else. Now, it could be just the product of our culture that the man is supposed to be the provider and the one in the house. And I know that that's not how it works in a lot of households. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that I felt that need. I felt like I needed to be the breadwinner. I needed to be the provider. And, and that was scary because up until that point, I just had to keep one person alive. Me. Now I got to keep her alive. I got to keep whoever we make alive. The children that come for, I got to keep them alive. And that's scary because up until that point, all I really needed was a microwave, water, and ramen noodles. That's all I needed to make it like I'm good, I'm simple. You know, that's all I needed. But, um, but I, she might not like ramen noodles. She might like chicken. I don't know what chicken, even where it comes from. I don't know how much it costs. I don't know where to buy it. I've never had to really make my own meals growing up. I'm being thrust into this world of adulthood. And I'm thinking, I've got to provide. I've got to provide. And, and to be fair, I did prepare her for it. Right, babe? We had a conversation on the phone when we were talking about marriage. I was like, I just want you to know God's called me to the ministry. 
and uh, it is a not-for-profit. <laughs> so uh, I'm not going to have a lot of profit. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll be a prophet, but I ain't going to make no profit. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, she told me straight up on the phone, she told me, don't worry, I'm all there for that. I was like, cool, we might not ever be rich in life, but I promise I will always put a roof over your head and food in your fridge. And so I really wasn't worrying about being rich, but I was worried about putting a roof over her head and food in her fridge. And that was our first year of marriage, man. I remember the uh, only thing we could afford was, uh, by the way, our joint income was $1,300 a month together. The only apartment we could afford was an apartment that they gave out to college students. Um, and uh, it was $600 a month. And uh, all of my neighbors smoked pot. And um, the windows were made of what felt like saran wrap. You could, if you stood close to the window while it was closed, you could feel a breeze. Um, it was really bad. I remember there was roaches, there was insects. Uh, this is a true story. When we went to take the tour, when we went to take the tour of the apartment, we went into the bathroom, and you know the medicine cabinet, the door, it's usually a mirror. I went to open the medicine cabinet, and it was like in a movie. The moment I opened it, the door to the medicine cabinet fell down on the floor. I looked at the leasing agent, I was like, I'll take it, and we'll go. <laughs> it was the only thing I could afford. And uh, it was so bad, we couldn't afford um, uh, uh, te like television, television, like cable or satellite. We had to go to Walmart and buy an air uh, antenna. And that was right around the time they were kind of phasing those out, but it still worked. They hadn't gone to the other thing yet. We had four channels. That's it. Just four channels. We had two cars we didn't have to make any payments on. Um, but the one car that she had didn't work. It was a Suzuki. It got lemon lawed. If you don't know what a lemon law is, it's when you go to the mechanic and they just say, nope. <laughs> That's what that is. And then somebody's got to pay for that. The manufacturer pays for it in the state of Florida. And so, you know, there was that. And that was just our first year of marriage. Our second year of marriage, we decided to finish college, pursue our bachelor's degree. And we went to the University of Florida where we spent $200 a credit hour to graduate both of us at the same time. Uh, to graduate with our bachelor's. That was the second year of marriage. On the third year of marriage, we had a baby. Had a baby. And uh, after 20 plus hours in labor, um, this had to go through a C-section. When you go through a C-section, they have to bring in an anesthesiologist. They have to bring in surgeons. We got the bill at the end of having the baby, and the bill was over $20,000. Oh, and we didn't have insurance. $20,000. Y'all, that's just having the baby. <laughs> The fourth year, we had to keep that baby alive. I thought a C-section was expensive. Diapers, my friend, are expensive. Diapers and formula and baby food and all the other things that come with having a baby, that was expensive. On the fourth year, we also tried to buy a home to help provide for that baby. And when we tried to buy that home, I had the loan officer literally look at me in the face and laugh at our income. He looked at our paycheck and he said, there's no way you'll ever get a home with this amount of money. On the fifth year, we had another baby that was another C-section. On the sixth year, we had to keep that baby alive. And I decided to go back for my graduate degree. 60 credits at $500 an hour, credit hour. You do the math. That was my sixth year and my seventh year. My eighth year, I emptied out our savings account and our retirement account to start this church. On the ninth year, I did not receive a paycheck. And I can tell you now, three weeks from celebrating 10 years as a couple, that my kids play t-ball and they own their own helmet, glove, and bat. <laughs> I own two cars that work. I'm going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary, 13 days in Europe. 
I live, own a home in Winter Park, unincorporated Winter Park, but it's still Winter Park. We got four annual Disney passes. We go to Disney once a month. We own a home. Our kids have clothes on their back, food in their fridge. I still don't have health insurance. But I share that to tell you that God's been good to me. I'm just telling you. He's provided for me. He has been my Jehovah Jireh. I had no idea how he would do it then, but I can tell you now, looking back on then, he made a way. He is my provider. I can tell you, 10 years into it, he did it. And, and some people don't like that. They don't like the pastors talking about money and all these things. And I'm not talking about money, and I'm not talking about provision. I'm talking about who he is and what he's done in my life. And I'm trying to share with my story because I think that he'll do it in your life too. I know that he'll do it in your life too. The Bible says on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now you have to understand that word mountain is more than a geographical location or a topographical location. It is a divine metaphor for the picture of provision that God wants you and I to have in our life. And I think it would help if I drew it. So I'm not great at drawing, but this is my mountain. This is sun. And uh, here's a tree. And uh, here's Abraham. Okay. <laughs> the mountain of provision. On the mountain, it will be provided by the Lord. And there's a reason why God uses the mountain as a metaphor for provision. Because on the mountain, it will be provided. But nobody gets on top of a mountain by accident. Nobody gets lost and ends up on a mountain and has no idea how they got there. If you get on top of a mountain, you, you, that means you planned to get there. You prepared to get there. You worked to get there. Here's the point I'm trying to make. A lot of people are waiting for provision, and they think that provision is a point, a point in time. But provision is not a point. I have found 10 years later that provision is not a point, that provision is a process. It is not a moment in time where God provides, but it is a process over time. Where God provides. Provision is not a moment, okay? And a lot of people, we think that it is because we've been culturally conditioned to get things immediately. Because of Amazon Prime and because of YouTube, we want overnight delivery. And we all dream about being overnight successes. And we want overnight provision. But it is not that way. Listen, provision is not Ed and McMahon showing up at the front of your house with a million-dollar check from Publisher Clearinghouse. You only know that if you're of a certain age. Make some noise if you know what that means. Okay? <laughs> Provision is not Ed McMahon. Provision is a process over time. And what I want to do today is I want to show you that process because I know that you're lacking. I know that you need. I want you to have the revelation of Jehovah Jireh. But you got to understand the process. And the process takes place in pit stops. There are three pit stops along the journey of provision. And my prayer is that you will find yourself in one of those places, be able to identify yourself there, and that I could help you get out of that place onto the next place God has for you. And the first place that we're going to talk about today on the journey of provision is the valley. The journey always begins in the valley. Now some context here, every mountain has a valley, and the valley is where Abraham lived. He was a shepherd. The mountain of Moriah was where it was, and the valley that Abraham lived in was the valley of Kidron. The valley of Kidron, that's significant because Kidron in Hebrew, K-I-D-R-O-N, if you're taking notes, Kidron means dark. The name of the valley was dark, the dark valley, the dark place. And the reason why the valley was dark was because the sun's light had hit the mountain that cast a shadow on the valley. And so the valley was dark, and I just thought it was interesting to point out that sometimes it is the mountains in our lives that can cause the place, 
that we're living in to seem darker than it actually is. Have you noticed that? That it's not really that where we are that is all that bad, but it's what we're looking up to. Here is how I wrote it, and maybe it will resonate with you. Darkness in life has less to do with where we are and more to do with where we're not. This helps because we think that today is so bad. But if you take a second, disconnect, and look at today, today really isn't the problem. Today's going great. The problem, the reason why you're frustrated is because your expectations are high. And the, the height of your expectations are casting a shadow on your reality. You are doing way better than you think you are. It's because you keep looking up at this. And if that's you, let me encourage you today. Just because you're not living the dream doesn't mean you have to live in the shadow of your dream. That's a good word. Just because you're not living the dream doesn't mean that you have to live in the shadow of your dream. Listen, I, I believe in clinical depression. I believe that that's a real thing. And I believe that if that's you, you need to seek counseling, you need to take medication. But I think that there are a lot of people who are diagnosing themselves as depressed and they're not depressed. They just never learned how to live in the valley. Because the mountain is high, but the valley is wide. And here's the truth. The majority of life is spent in the valley. And if you never learn how to live in the valley, you're always going to be depressed because you're not where you want to be. But this is where life is. You have to learn how to live in the valley of life. And one of the ways you can do that is by understanding the purpose of the valley. And here's the purpose of the valley. This will help you get through today if you find yourself in the valley today. Here's the purpose of the valley. You face the test in the valley. You face the test in the valley. Genesis 22 verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham. The test came in the valley. You faced the test in the valley. Now, depending on what kind of student you were growing up, that either excites you or that, that bums you out. Because believe it or not, there are actually some people in this world who actually look forward to tests, who actually like tests. I don't know who you are, but I don't like you. Okay? I don't like you. That's not my experience. I don't like tests um, because of the experience I had. And maybe you had a teacher like me in the seventh grade. I went and it was uh, when in New York City they were introducing foreign language. And they introduced foreign language in the seventh grade. And they had three options that you could take. French, Italian, and Spanish. And I knew Spanish already. And I heard that Italian was very much like Spanish. So I wanted to challenge myself. And I took French. I took French in the seventh grade. It was a terrible idea. I had a teacher. I will never forget his name. His name was Monsieur Sargent. Monsieur Sargent was my French teacher. Parlez-vous français? Oui. Je parle français. He taught me. But at the time, it was terrible. And the reason why I can remember this moment is because it was the first test in my life and the last test in my life that I ever scored a zero. I scored a zero on my first French test. Not a one, not a 10, not a 60, a zero. Have you ever scored a zero? You got to work so hard to get a zero. I was so frustrated, and here's what happened. Believe it or not, I didn't know that the test would be in French. <laughs> like I knew that the answers were going to have to be in French, but the, the questions were in French. Where you had to put your name. It was, I was stumped at the name because I didn't know what he was asking me to do. I didn't know the test would be in French, so I looked at the test, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I did not fill out a thing. I gave it back. I couldn't even, I thought it was going to be English questions with multiple choice French words at the end. 
And so I'll never forget the phone call. When I came back, there was a message on the answering machine. Do you guys remember answering machines? There was a message on the answering machine, and my mom hit the button. She played it for me, and it was Monsieur Sargent. I'll never forget the sound. Hello. This is Monsieur Sargent. I am calling the parents of Joseph Vasquez. I wish a lot that you would like to know that your son scored a zero on this last test. I would very much encourage that you tell him to apply himself. Frickin' Monsieur Sargent. <laughs> I got so mad at him because I felt like he built the test to break me down. Until we became teachers ourselves. My wife and I decided that we would homeschool our children. And we just started homeschooling. Uh, no, it just started, but we've been homeschooling Justice and Zane. And one of the things that we do with Justice is time drills where you got to like, you know, because there's time tests when you grow up. And so we do time drills. And in the middle of a time drill, he hates time drills. In the middle of a time drill, he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He's like, you want me to fail, don't you? You want me to lose. You want me to mess up, don't you? And I'm like, no, bro, it's not it at all. It's like, I know, because I know that they're going to give him tests later on. I know that he's going to be facing tougher tests in the future. And I try to tell him, Bobby, this test isn't to break you down. This test is to build you up. And I'm just trying to tell you right now, if you're facing a test from God, the test is not to break you down. The test is to build you up, to get you stronger, to get you on to the next thing in your life that he wants you to get onto. But it never makes sense until you get to the other side of the exam. See, you're taking the exam right now, so it's hard because you're in it. But let me tell you from someone who's on the other side of the exam that it's there to build you up. So what do you do if you're in the exam right now and you are failing and you are stuck and you don't know how to go on? I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to learn from Abraham. We're going to cheat off Abraham's test. We're going to cheat off Abraham's paper. I'm going to give you the answer to the question even though I don't even know the question. Here is the answer, always the answer when you get tested. The answer in every test, in every season of life is always what Abraham's answer was. The answer to the test is always surrender. Always surrender. We've been talking about believe a lot. Who was here last Sunday? Just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe. Amen. Great word. My favorite message probably of the year. Just believe, just believe, just believe. But there's another step after belief that I've been waiting to today to share with you. Another step after belief. And that belief, and that step is surrender. Listen, I have four nephews and nieces. And the last one who was born, her name was uh, Zaniah. And Zaniah, because of some issues that my sister was going through with her health, was a preemie. She was born uh, like a month or maybe a month and a half early. She was so tiny. She could fit in the palm of your hand. And I remember going to visit uh, my little niece, Zaniah, and it was such a sad scene. I mean, we were happy because she was here and she was doing well. But there were moments in the visit where the doctor had to pull her from her mother, had to pull her from the one that she loved, had to pull her from the one that she trusted in, had to pull her and put her in this box called an incubator. And she was alone in that incubator. And she had given up her mom in that incubator. It was lonely. It was not, the, it was not a delightful place, but it was the only place that she could mature. Here's what God showed me. Listen, belief might be the point at which your miracle is born, but surrender is the incubator of belief. Surrender is where your belief matures into blessing. So you can believe, but if you don't surrender, your belief will never mature. That's why that's why believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God will not get you saved. That's why you cannot inherit the blessing of eternal life just by believing in Jesus. Because the Bible says that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they don't, and they, they don't know salvation. Why? Because they believe, but they haven't surrendered. 
It is only when you believe and you surrender that you receive the blessing. Listen, I don't just believe that Jehovah Jireh is my provider. Guess what else I do? I tithe the first 10% of my income. Get real quiet when you talk about money. That's cool. That's cool. That's okay because you know what I'm doing? I'm adding surrender to my belief. And it's my surrender that is going to mature that belief into the blessing that I'm living in now 10 years later. So let me ask you, are you believing or are you believing and surrendering? Because there are a lot of people here today who would say, I believe, but have you surrendered? And just so, you, just so you don't think I'm trying to say this to increase tithes in your giving, it might not even be in your finances. Here's what God really wants. Not your money. He wants whatever you think is the source of your provision. Why was, why was God asking for Isaac? Because he was his only son, because he loved him. Yeah, yeah, but more than that, Isaac was Abraham's legacy. He was Abraham's retirement plan. When you get old as a father in Hebrew culture, it is your son who maintains the household. He's the one who provides for you later on in age. Isaac was Abraham's IRA, 401K. He was his savings account. And this is what God was asking Abraham. He was saying, will you give me the one that you think is your provider so that I can be your provider? You can't have two providers in your life. You got to surrender the one. It might be a relationship. It might be an expectation. But you got to surrender it to give it to God. That's the valley. That's the valley right here. Surrender. The second place is right here. It's called the ascent. The ascent. A lot of us are living in the valley, but some of us are living in the ascent. And I love preaching about this because a lot of people talk about, I've never heard a sermon about this, by the way. I've heard a lot of sermons about the mountaintops and I've heard a lot of sermons about the valleys. But I have never in my life heard a sermon on the ascent. But we need to because a lot of us are living in that point right now where we've made the decision to give it up, but we have not yet achieved the fulfillment of the process and we're, and we're here right now. We're here right now. That could be you living in the, in, in, living in the, uh, living in the ascent. Living in the ascent. And, and, and what is the ascent? Well, you made the decision in the valley, but this was a three-day journey. Listen, every day that Abraham had Isaac and he took a step toward Moriah and a step away from the valley of Kidron, every day he took a step, he was surrendering once again. Every day he took a step and he got further from his comfort zone. He was saying, all right, I'm going to give you up again. I'm going to give you up again. I'm going to give you up again. Listen, it's easy to make a decision to surrender, but to walk that decision out every day of your life? I'll tell you what, that takes trust. Trust that what you're giving to God is going to come back, pressed down, shaking together and running over. Trust. You face the test in the valley, but you form the trust in the ascent. You face the test in the valley, but you form the trust in the ascent. And I love the way Abraham trusted. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, look what he says. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Look at this. We will worship and then what? We will come back to you. What faith, what trust. He's saying we will come back. That is trust. What is trust? Let me explain. It's when you're certain of what will happen, but you have no idea how it will happen. Anybody been there? I know what will happen, but I have no idea how will happen, how it will happen. There is a place in between your decision and your destiny called the place of how. I know the vision for my life. I know he's going to do it. I just don't know how. Don't let how be an obstacle of the audacious in your life. Don't let it, don't let it be. I remember when I first started in the ministry, I just got out of Bible college. I got my first ministry job, making $500 a month. And I was in a staff meeting and the pastor looked at me and he goes, I want you to um, get shirts made for our ministry. I was like, how? <laughs> he was like, we'll talk about it after. I'm like, okay. He's like, also, I want you to design those shirts. I was like, you know what? T-shirt class making, I missed that at seminary. They never talked about it. How? 
He said, we'll talk about it after the meeting. After the meeting, he started walking away. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a conversation here. He asked me to do all these things, and I don't know how. You know what he told me? He said, neither do I. He said, that's not my job. He said, that's your job. He said, that's your job. He says, I don't know how. He goes, but I trust that you'll find a way. I don't know how, but I trust you. That is the secret of the how. And it is how Abraham overcame not knowing how when his son Isaac was asking how. Look at it right here. Genesis 22, 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you hear it in Isaac's voice? He's saying, how? How are we going to do this? I see the wood, I see the fire, but how? Father, can you tell me how? I love Abraham's answer, verse 8. God himself will provide the lamb and the burnt offering. <laughs> Isaac said to Abraham, do you know how? Abraham looked at Isaac and he said, why are you looking at me? I don't know how, but I know who. God himself will provide. He told the servants, I don't know how we're going to come back, but I know who's going to make sure that we're coming back. I don't know how God's going to provide at the top of the mountain, but I know who is going to provide at the top of the mountain. I don't know how, but I know who. But I know who. Is there anybody who can testify this morning that they don't know how? Anybody who doesn't know how, how they're going to pay the mortgage next month? Anybody who doesn't know how, they're going to pay back $45,000 of school loans? Anybody here don't know how they're ever going to buy that house? How they're ever going to get married with all that debt? How their car is ever going to get the AC to finally work? Anybody know how? Struggle not knowing how, not knowing how. Anybody? Is there anybody who knows who? Who knows the maker of heaven and earth? Who knows the one who put the stars in the sky? Who knows the one who split the sea? Anybody who knows the God who can raise the dead? Anybody who knows the God of miracles? Is there anybody who knows him? You might not know how. Change the question. You might not know how, but do you know who? And it's in him I put my trust. And it's in him I put my faith. I have no idea how. God is going to do what I've seen him do, what I know he's going to do in this church, but I know he's going to do it because I know him. You've got to shift your focus from how to who. And here's the last point really quickly in the ascent. Obviously, the last part here is the mountaintop. There are some people in the mountaintop. Yes, mountaintop is one word. I Googled it. Thank you. Missed the space. No is one word. Education. all right? The mountaintop. One word. And, and let me tell you something. The mountaintop is not what you think it is. And you can just ask the people who are living there right now, living in their season of prosperity, living in their blessing, their business is taking off, their kids are doing well. The mountaintop is not what you think it is. You think that this is all good and you think this is all great and this is nice and dandy, but did you know that the mountaintop, the place where Abraham actually had to bring the knife down, the mountaintop is the highest point of commitment. It's the hardest part to live through. Why? Because God wants to see if you'll follow through on the commitment you made in the valley. Oh, anybody can make a commitment in the valley. Hey, yo, it's easy to tie $10 when you're making 100 That's simple. It's easy to give God everything when you ain't got anything. Come on, stop fronting, stop pretending. God, and when you're in the valley, God, I'll give you everything. Okay, and when he gives it back, will you give it back? Because it was easy to say when you had nothing. But now here, Jehovah Jireh is the God, by the way, we messed it up in English. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Jireh, actually in the root word doesn't mean to provide, it means to see. 
God is, he's the God who sees. Who sees what? I'll tell you who sees what. Who sees two things. One, who sees your commitment. You see, we, we face the test in the valley. We form the trust in the ascent, but we find the truth on the mountain. The truth about what? The truth about who you really are. A lot of people think that the true selves show in moments of, of attack. I think your true self shows in moments of prosperity. I think, I think God wants to know, do you need me when you don't need anything? Do you need me when everything's going good? Because, oh, you needed me down here. <laughs> you made a lot of promises here. Do you need me here? Do you need me here? Your true self gets exposed in that moment. And I'll tell you what else we see. Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees. Provision. Provision. Vision C. Pro sees in advance. My wife and I are going to Europe. I told you that. And, uh, and, and we've made provision. When we get to London, we bought a little metro card. I've said metro card because I grew up in New York, but it's not a metro card. It's a, a little thing that helps you get around on the buses and the trolleys. And, the, and the, I think that's what you call a bus in London, a trolley. And uh, the tube. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're on the trolley and the tube. And uh, we bought our little card to get us there. You know what that is? That's called provision. Why? Because we saw in advance a need. And we have waiting for us there already the card when we get there. It's provision because we saw the need and we already had the thing waiting in advance for the need that we knew would come. The reason why the Bible says he is the God who sees is because the Bible says, can we go to 22? Uh, the, yeah, the next, the next passage of scripture. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a what? And he was caught by its horns. He was caught. That must be the quietest ram in the history of thicket-caught rams. He was there the whole time, but he didn't see him, Abraham, until he followed through with his commitment. Listen, the ram was caught already. Are you catching this? The ram was waiting for Abraham. It was already there. What I'm trying to tell you that the truth about God is he's not just Jehovah Jireh on the mountain. On the mountain is when you realize he's Jehovah Jireh. But he was Jehovah Jireh in the ascent. The ram was already there. He was Jehovah Jireh in the valley. The ram was already there. And I don't care what season of life you're living through right now. I came to tell you that the ram is already caught in the thicket. That your provision is already tied up in its place waiting for your commitment. He didn't become Jehovah Jireh on the mountain. He was revealed as Jehovah Jireh on the mountain. But he was Jehovah Jireh in the darkness. He was Jehovah Jireh in the trial. He was Jehovah Jireh all along. He's the God who sees your need and has already got it in place. I'm trying to tell you what you need for tomorrow is already waiting for you in tomorrow. He's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to speak to people who are in the ascent, people who are on the mountaintop, and I want to speak to people who are in the valley. But right now, I need to speak to people who are in the valley. You are in the valley today, and you need to make a decision. That is, the, before the peak of provision, there is a valley of decision. Your decision is surrender. You've been kind of so-so with God. You've given him your life, and you've taken it off. You've put it on the altar and put it off, and... Today you want to make a decision, hear me out. Today you want to make a decision to surrender and to climb the mountain of provision. If that's you and you need to give your life over to Jesus Christ, hey, at the 930 we had one person raise their hand. I don't care. I'm looking for one person today.
who says, I've been living in the valley for too long. I've been living in the dark for too long, and I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. You're ready to get out the valley. You're ready to surrender your life and start new today. If that's you, on three, I want you to shoot your right hand up high. One, forget about who's looking. Two, this is between you and God, a moment you will never forget. Talking to the people in the valley. One, you know this is you. Two, here is your chance. One, two, three, right now, would you shoot your right hand up to the sky? Come on, I see that hand. 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 Put your hand down. Church, if you can hear my voice, I want you to repeat after me. Father God, I have lived in the valley for too long. Today, I surrender my life. I surrender my future. I give it all to you. Live in my heart. Jesus Christ, forgive me. I want to start new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.